2: This is Neil Preston, and you are listening to Pantheon Podcasts.
0: One makes you larger. Pantheon
1: Podcasts presents from Toronto, Canada. Muses with your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Part of the Pantheon Network of Podcasts. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. So grab those backstage passes and let's get to the show.
0: Hey, everyone. You know that Led Zeppelin song, Going to California, that goes, Someone told me there's a girl out there with love in her eyes and flowers in her hair? Well, today we talked to that woman. Yep, today's episode is speaking with Michelle Overman. You might also know Michelle from those beautiful barren woman photos in the 1960s. She's got this long blondie hair and this like, beautiful vest. Absolutely stunning. So today we talk about Michelle growing up in Greenwich Village, her modeling days, hanging out and dating then-unknown musicians such as Steven Tyler, David Gilmour, and Robert Plant, and her amazing friendships with women like Pamela DeBar, Catherine James, and Patti Darbinville. Enjoy the show.
3: just want to thank you again for doing this with us. We've been really looking forward to this. Um, to begin, I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you about growing up in Greenwich Village. Um, I think I read that you were close with your sister and your mother. Greenwich Village is like my favorite place in this entire world. I was just curious what it was like growing up there in, in New York.
4: Well, it happened to be the probably the best time to be in the village in the... Um, Early sixties, mid sixties, uh, it was it was magical, and almost everybody that I know from that period that I'm still in touch with, and that's a lot of people, because we all you know had this special bond. Say that it was the best time of their life, and uh, I mean a lot of people say that. And uh, I've had people get in touch with me on Facebook that I haven't seen in like forty years, and it's like instant no time passed when when would connect And a lot of them are from the village. Uh, I went to a really great summer camp uh, in Vermont every summer for two months, which is great for New York City kids. This is when the summer's in the country. And it was uh, owned by Pete Seeger's brother, the folk singer Pete Seeger, his brother John. So they were, all the counselors were musicians. That's where I went to play guitar. And several of those friends from camp came to the village and wound up staying and becoming like you know, part of the village scene. But it, it was a magical time. Um we used to see Dylan on the street, and every Sunday there would be folk singers in the park. So I kind of grew up in this world that was nothing like Middle America. Yeah. It really wasn't. And we have a, a couple of groups on Facebook, Greenwich Village Kids, that a friend of mine started as a website years ago, and we're still in touch. And when I go to New York, we you know we get together. It's amazing that hey, we all look so good considering that we're you know not kids. And B, that we still instantly have that connection. It's like the always just, you know, comes back. And my f- very first job ever was at the 9L Cafe after oh. school. Wow. And I had I had uh, lunch with Joe Mara the last time I was in New York. And uh, he took me to lunch, and he was so sweet, and he re- you know remembered me so well. And I was well, you know, I did work there for about a year and a half. But he said you were a teenage goddess, and mm-hmm. I had no idea he liked me so much. And even the you know this this guy that was from a completely different walk of life, but he was kind of like the Bill Graham of the Village scene because all those musicians got exposure and a break because of him. I, I was at the night all the, the night of the first New York City blackout. And um, I remember the lights started going dim outside. It had just gotten to be, you know, time to turn the street lights, you know, city street lights on, and they all go out again. I go out in the Waverly Theater, the lights go out, and uh, so what do we do? We put candles on the tables. He calls uh, 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 back. My brain just went um, Richie Havens, who came into an acoustic set. And we just had businesses as usual. And um, he told me that he paid Richie Havens more money than anybody else that played there. And the reason was because he had a family. So he, he um, that's the kind of environment the village was. It was just incredible. We would like all be in the park. One night I remember somebody brought. As LSD, we were really young. This was, like, while well, it was still legal, there was, like, 15 of us all high on acid, and uh, everybody remembers it, and they remember that night in particular. Wow. And I remember the first... Yeah, and, like, if, when we saw Dylan, and everybody would be, like, running, it was, like, right in the beginning of his thing when Mr. Chambering Man came out, and we were kids, of course. We were too young to go to the bar, not that that really stopped us, <laughs> uh, but we would, like, follow him, you know, because he was... He was, the, you know, not the Messiah, but he really was kind of like a Pied Piper. That and then uh, and, and, and I, of course, I met a lot of people uh, that later became well-known. Um, when I drove across country, the one and only time I did that was with John Boylan, who was in a band called The Gingerman, and he later became Linda Ronstadt's first producer. And... Um, I was friends with with eleven spoonful, especially Steve Boone, Steve and Sally, are the two that actually. I don't know if you know the story about them getting busted, and oh, yeah. um, oh my gosh, it was awful. They were arrested, and back in those days, people went to jail for years for marijuana. Um, and they got busted, and the cops scared them so badly that they wound up ra- ratting on somebody, and it was a. <laughs> huge huge stink they wound up being kicked out of the bands and their careers never recovered and it was a shame because they were both really nice guys I had a friend who uh, a woman a girl she was you know, 17 young kids she went to uh, she was she busted for pot went to a mental her, her um, a penalty was she had to go to a mental hospital for two years at, at that age for, for smoking pot
0: oh my goodness so there was
4: yeah, it was pretty nuts. But LSD in the beginning was legal. We used to go up to the cops on McDougal Street, on, like the beat cops, and we still had them in, and take it in front of them, and they couldn't do anything about it. And there was like a group of us, and my friend Chris calls us the good girl gang. We were like, we said, you, you were functionally feral, but we never really did anything terrible, terrible. But a lot of us were latchkey kids, so our parents either worked, or a lot of us had... Uh, just moms you know we were uh, from divorced families and so mom had to work and we, we didn't mind you know like me and patty grew up patty darwinville and i grew up together and um then she and it's funny because she and pamela became best friends and i always knew that they would that they would get along if they ever met they had so much in common and yeah they did oh that's so, so that funny. yeah the, the the village was and then my second job was working at um Paraphernalia, which is a boutique that carried actually the only designer was Betsy Johnson. It was like her boutique, and my job was dancing, modeling the clothes, dancing in the window. And you can do that when you're 15. I mean, now I have no interest. Well, even in my mid 20s, I probably wouldn't have the the you know the salt to do that. But well, you're yeah, a teenage I used, and
0: goddess. I had, what else is a teenage yeah, goddess I was real, to do? I was, but modeling, I was really dance cute. in a window.
4: Yeah, it was pretty darn cute. But the thing is, I always thought that other girls were prettier. Catherine James showed up, and she was a runaway, and she and I became pals and hung out. And um, my sister absolutely hated it because my sister was a couple years older than me, and she was like the queen bee of the village. And then here comes somebody just a little bit maybe better looking than she was or as good looking. So I thought thought she, I thought Catherine was prettier than me. I thought my girlfriend Jeanette was. So I always kind of, you know, Knew I was pretty, but I you know, knew that I wasn't like maybe the most. I was pretty good looking. Like, you know, we all were, though. I Pamela, was, Pamela to me was like the, the um, fairy on top of the Christmas tree. Not the angel, but the fairy on top of the Christmas tree. You
0: are all so beautiful, and all of your photos and everything—they even to this day, people they're showing up on all different kinds of sites and blogs and Instagrams because people are obsessed with yeah with the with that time and those photos and that beauty. How old were you when you began modeling, and what led to? That? I was
4: f- fourteen or fifteen. I think the earliest ones I have, I was fourteen. But mostly, uh, fifteen, and then I, and then sixteen, and then some of the pictures that you see of me, like wearing a like leather actually suede beaded kind of Indian hippie vest, that was actually a prop that belonged to the photographer. That those pictures uh, just seem to have really shaken mood as something that you know people like, and um, I was that's right around the time I met Robert. I was 18. In fact, the first night that they played in New York City at the Fillmore East, it was the day after my 18th birthday. Um, and that's, yeah, that's when I met him.
0: And the Robert um, you were referring to is, of course, Robert Plant?
4: Yes. Yeah.
0: Just for those listeners uh, who might be going, yeah. is that the Robert we think she's talking about? Yes. Yes, it is.
4: Yeah, that's the same one. And when I met him, he wasn't, they weren't famous. Jimmy was because of the Arbor's, but the other guys weren't. Nobody knew who he was. When he announced the band at the Phil Maurice, I thought he said Robert Platt. I didn't even hear his name correctly because I didn't know who. Nobody did. But every group here in New York, I watched it the scene club, of course. I was like just always at the right place at the right time. I was very lucky that way. And the scene, every band that came to New York, like from England, they always went down there because that was where you, that's where you went. And so I met a lot of people when they first came, when they weren't famous. I went out with David Gilmore. In fact, that's a, a kind of a long story. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the picture of the uh, Pink Floyd football club. Uh, it was 1973, there's the band and they're roadies and then there's a, a row of women in the front. There's Ginger, and next mix of Ginger is me, and then on the other side of me is Pretty Watts, who was Peter Watts' wife at the time. No,
0: we haven't the, seen that. I want to look it up immediately.
4: Well, I can, I can send you uh, a lot of these things. Oh, and, I love that. And Robert actually asked me, so did Stephen, Stephen Tyler, they both asked me, if I had pictures of us in those days, but we didn't take pictures back then like you guys do. And it's really a shame. is yeah. um, the Isn't there most a the I with your I hand
0: ha- on Robert's shoulder or something?
4: His on head? his head. I remember yeah, he said he wanted part of me in the picture, so I picked my hand up and put it on his head. Oh. I re- and actually, a photograph of us together from that night showed up, and I have it. Um. You probably know which picture it is I'm actually rolling a joint typical <laughs> He used to make me carry the, the pot Because he said if he gets busted He can't come back to America And he has to get a job <laughs> Didn't want to do that I wanted to be able to you know, stay And of course stay in, And he was I think I had him at his best He he said in an interview That the first two years of Going to California That song was written about his, The first two years of his being in Led Zeppelin and those were the years we were together. From the first album to the fourth. I was there when they recorded um, a lot of the fourth album. I was at Headley Grange with him. That's when I first went to England. And I didn't follow him there. As Pamela said in her book, I did not follow him. We planned it together. I went straight from the airport to their roadies, Flat Clive, Coulson, and from there I went to Headley Grange. And he didn't have two kids and he only had his daughter. He told me that I mean, one thing about Robert, he can be so loving and so uh, uh, affectionate and effusive. And then when you're gone, he'll, like, forget about you because he's so busy and has so many things in his life and so many people. And uh, Robert had asked me the last time I saw him, which was two years earlier, uh, if there were any pictures of us together. And I said, I don't think so because we never took any. And he was real afraid of it in those days because, you know. It, he had just you know started becoming famous. He didn't know how Maureen was going to take it. If she found out he'd fallen in love with somebody, a couple months after they were married. So I met him right after he was married, okay. and, and his daughter was only a month old. You can you can fill in the blanks. So uh, he comes up to me and he says, he stands real close to me and he says, my friend Penny's there and he says, I understand I've been bested by the front man Aerosmith. Uh-huh. He must have read somewhere or heard somewhere that I claimed that Steven was a better lover than he was. And what mm-hmm. do you say to somebody like Robert Plant when they sit? Because in that moment his whole, he told me I was the ideal. They treated me so well. They were wonderful. I, I Jimmy wanted us to stay together because he said it was good for Robert. Because I was, just, you know, kind of like the antidote. It, I was like their conscience. They could forget about all the crap they'd done because then they treated me so well, which I think is kind of shitty. But So I didn't know what to say. And, you know, there's so much crap that's misunderstood or misquoted. And, of course, I never said that. The yeah. question I was asked was, was a better boyfriend? And I said, Stephen, because he wasn't married. And I got to be with him all the time. I was never in love with Stephen. I mean, he was a wonderful guy, great fun. And he he slept with my poetry book under his pillow for two, two years. Uh-uh. And um, I'll always, always love him, but I was never in love with him like I was with Robert. So, I was never in love with anybody like I was in love with him.
3: I would love to we'll hear, hear that. about that vest that you made him.
4: Oh yeah, that's a that's a big deal because uh, he loved that vest and wore all. He really loved it. It was it was a labor of love. Um, I was eighteen and a half. We had just really started, started well, our relationship got pretty serious from the beginning. It was in New York. We met, and every groupie in New York was after And I just said, I'm not going to fight these girls, you know. But he pursued me, and then at uh, the film Maurice before the show, we were sitting in the restaurant next her and he comes up, he said, hi, there you are. And he literally said, would you like to come and see my etching? (laughs) He remembered saying that. So I knew, I just knew then we were, we were going to be together. And so after I saw the show, I couldn't believe it. They opened for the Iron Butterfly who didn't want to go on stage after then. So that night I was day after my 18th birthday, it was the first night we were together. And, um, I didn't know he was married. I didn't know he had a kid. And that's a a picture, of a small photo of a baby, a real young baby. And my heart just sank. I just knew it was his kid and that that she was young and he must be married and blah, blah, blah. Well, he didn't say anything about it. Uh, But obviously, it finally came out, um, spent a little bit of time together. But he said, why didn't you you let me, you know, catch you when my first body we could have spent all this time together so i didn't um you know i I, I didn't see him for a couple of months and i I had moved to la in the meantime so um and then i met pamela at the palomino and in the mean after he left i had a little fling with graham who i had a crush on but i knew always knew that robert was going to be the the love of my life so i just crushed on graham and I met her at the Palomino. She was, you know, there seeing Chris, and I was there seeing Grandma. We met on the dance floor, and we, we did have a huge girl crush on each other. We ended up living together, sleeping in the same bed for months. Uh, no, we weren't lovers, almost, but no, we didn't actually do it. And then I saw Robert and uh, passed a message to her from him from Jimmy, and then the four of us were like, it was just, it was a lot of fun. But she really downplayed my part in that in her life because she wanted. Her, her relationship with Jimmy to stand out which is okay but she was a little bit disingenuous she never mentioned that we lived together in the first book she was living with a girl named Michelle and a lot of the things she says and says Michelle this it was me and the funny thing is that people that know me knew right away that it was me that she was talking about even though she doesn't say so and she also said that I went to England, I followed England, Robert to England <clears throat> when she first went there, which is not true. I was still in LA with Robert and then I went to New York where she met me. She didn't go to Cincinnati. When she came back from England, we met in New York. I was working there, saving money, staying with my mom. And I know this for a fact because she was on her way back to LA and I had just come from there. So we kind of passed going in different directions. And uh, I remember I got a great job at uh, a club The Hippopotamus Club Which was run by uh, Bradley Pierce Who was the manager Of Ondines Which is where The um, doors first played When they first came To New York And where I met Jimi Hendrix Who fell in love With my best friend Jeanette Who was The other girl That I thought Was a little, Well my fir- first Best friend Lisa I thought she had The edge on me And then Catherine And um, Jeanette Jeanette Jacobs She was in a band Called The Cake It was a, a, a Girl group Three of them and who wrote their own songs. They were way ahead of the curve. And Jimmy saw her and he used to sit by. The he wasn't in his own band then. He was a, a backup player for a guy named Curtis Knight. Curtis Knight and the as I was 15. Jimmy was not famous at all. So he sits on the side of the stage uh, at this little table, and he calls me over and says, "If you could put a big word in with your girlfriend, I'd be eternally grateful." So I told Jeanette, You know, this guy likes you, and we didn't I kind of found out later we she didn't advertise it but she she was biracial her dad was black and um her mom's greek but then I wound up living with her and her dad for quite a while on and off and, and he's black but she she kind of said he was her stepdad for I don't know what was going on but um she was the love of his life I don't care what anybody says and um she I had uh, some of his clothes because whenever he was in town, we'd go to the hotel and she'd just go to his closet, take whatever she wanted. And, you know, he always, and so Jimmy Hendrix and I met before he was famous. I met David Gilmore. I met every single guy I knew I went out with before they were famous. And I never chased anybody. You know, I just, I had relationships with people because of the life I lived and the, I mean, maybe at the scene, you could say it was a, little, a bit of a group because it was like being a, a little kid in a candy store. You know, all these guys came. They were all British. They were all were charming. They were all musicians. And, you know, you got to meet them. And I worked there, so.
3: Mm-hmm. How was it that you met Steven Tyler? How did that come about? That was before he well, was famous
4: too, right? Yes. Yeah, he wasn't. It, there was no Aerosmith. He was in a band called Chain Reaction. Well, we went to the same high school, but it wasn't. Like high school, like regular high school, it was a private professional school so you only had to go four hours a day just for the academics. And most of the kids were like actors, a lot of models went there. Um, I know Chris Stein went there and a bunch of other people you might have you know that you would know. Yeah. Nancy Allen who was in um Oh yeah. she was in a bunch Blowout. of she was, in, she was my she was my best friend.
3: Really? I love but her. She, Brian De Palma, yeah, right? Yeah, she's
4: I've got some great pictures of the two of us, where we're both topless. <laughs> um, but but she she went there. Stephen had graduated the year before, and I can't. He was always down in the village. I probably met him in the village. So he used to pick me up from high school in his friend Henry's mom's um, car, and they lived in Yonkers, which is just outside of Manhattan. I mean, excuse me, outside of New York City. Like, Beyond the city limits is the Bronx, and then there's the uh, township of Yonkers, which is suburban, it's like a bedroom community. And his parents were never there, so we had the house to ourselves. And that's another thing. Pamela said in the book that I had to step over like people jostling all over the living room floor to go to school. That's not true. I never said anything like that. And I didn't. I don't want Stephen to think I said that because I didn't. I never would have gi- disgraced him like that thing that there was like, you know, people just crashing all over his floor. It's not true. He had people, we had people hanging out. Cause you know, let's face it. You're 18, your girlfriend's 17 and you, you know, it's the sixties and, and you know, you know, all these people. Yeah. We, we partied there. So, yeah. So, um, that wasn't true. And, I I don't I in fact like I wanna see him. My friend P- Penny, the one who actually she was my witness when Robert Plant sang going to California to me backstage, holding my hands, looking in my eyes. She saw the whole thing, so and um he also sang it to me from the stage once and we were sitting in the front row. Because you know we were his guests, and it was a pretty small venue. So when you're in the front row, he can—if he stands at the end of the the proscenium, the stage, he can see you, and you can see him. He sang it to me from the stage, and my friend David said, "Singing, he was looking at you." And afterwards, he said backstage, he said, "Did you see me looking at you singing? I said, well, how could you not know, see?" So cute. So I have pretty pretty strong proof that you know the whole song was not written for me, and I know because. Jimmy told me, but I wasn't one of the inspirations. And that that the girl with the flowers in it, her hair is me.
0: I love how the girl from New York ended up being the girl in the song for going to California. It's, I never yep. put those two things together, but you did seem very. Uh, your vibe seemed very California in many of the photos. It was.
4: That it long, was and that
0: long blonde hair.
4: Yep, very California girl. In fact. I always said that when I really felt at home the first time I went to L.A., I know you're not supposed to say that because, you know, like especially people from San Francisco really poo-poos L.A., you know. But I loved it. And my husband actually pinned it down real well. There's something about the light there that's magical, which is why the film industry was there. And I'm very sensitive. I'm extreme. I'm one of those people that they call overly sensitive people. Like, my environment really affects me. Mm -hmm. Which is bad But it's also good Because I feel more That's good But also I'm affected by bad things Like sound and smell But the good thing is When I went there The light Was just seemed So magical You know And I just always Had great karma out there So when I went out there I was staying in this I went right from New York From Manhattan To living in Long Canyons house in the middle of nowhere with birds singing in the morning and you're 10 minutes from the street. It was just great. And um, I, I knew Robert and I were together and I knew that we were going to have a serious relationship. I, you know, sometimes you just know stuff, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So, I mean, there's so much. And another thing that Pamela did in the book... This, that really bothered me is she kept trying to make it seem like I had no idea about Shirley Robert's uh, sister-in-law and then it came and said great show he told me about it when we were first together I knew all about it mm-hmm. he never hid it he never hit any of that stuff for me mm-hmm. and um, uh, she also said that my first boyfriend was Ralph Scala from the Booze Magoos they were the house band at the Night Out and I was really young I was 14 he was 18 I was so in love with this guy mm-hmm. And he thought I was too young. And it wasn't about, you know, being jailbait, because people didn't think like that in those days. I mean, this term jailbait was known, but he just thought I was too young. And then I was fell in love with him for months, and he finally said, you know, I'm going to have to let you know what everybody else knows, and I'm in love with you. So we had a really good relationship for a year and a half, and they lived at the... When they were the house band, they lived at the Hotel Albert, which was like a residential hotel. It was actually famous. Like a lot of people stayed there. And a lot of the bands stayed there. They all did. And she said that I used to come home from high school and to, and get fucked and then go back to school at lunch. I never talked like that in my life. I never, ever, ever was crude like that. I was just, I was too shy for one thing. I was very, very shy which now people don't believe, but you get to hide it well. And um, the thing is, Quintanos, you didn't go back to school. Once it was at uh, noon, you were done, because it was supposed to be the half the day you you know, worked. So um, I don't know why she put that in, but I, I never said it.
0: Well, I think that it's going to there's going to be a really nice opportunity for you to tell your own story when you're ready. Mm-hmm. Um in your own book yeah. and in your own words. And so I think that uh, you've lived one of the most fantastic, you know, growing up in in New York and going to California and like you said just being in the right place at the right time being uh- a goddess being pursued by the most gorgeous and talented men of rock and roll history girl you gotta write a book
4: I'm going to and you know let me tell you one story though this is an anecdote I love when Robert played at the Arlington concert hall the f- second time the first time it was me and my boyfriend at the time because I'm my husband and two friends of mine um, it was little different. That was the time when um, we took all these great pictures that I have and he's like candid ones and he's just like really affectionate and I've got pictures that I won't let on the internet because I'm saving them for my book. One my husband took and Robert's got this like mischievous grin on his face and he's hugging me and um, he never smiles in pictures backstage but in these he is but in this first uh, and the second time I brought some friends with me and I looked really good that day. I know I did and I was in the restroom, and this woman came up, and she said, are you Michelle Oveman? Because a documentary had come out. And I said, yeah. She said, I knew you were going to be here, but I didn't think I'd get to see you. She took this young woman, took me by the hands, took me around, and she said, you know, I just want you to know, meeting you is a bigger thrill than it would be meeting Robert Plant. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. I was so touched. Because women can identify with my story. They can actually, and because I'm pretty, you know, I'm accessible, I'm not a snob. I, I don't believe any of that bullshit. I mean, if somebody's a jerk, I won't pay them any attention, but I'm not a snob. I don't understand why people are like that, except they're insecure. You know, and I like people. So I was very touched. And she said, do you mind if my boyfriend takes a photograph of us together? I said, no, of course not. She was so sweet. And when she said that, she she looked me and I said, I just want you to know. And she's, she said, meeting you is a bigger thrill than it would be meeting him. Because women can identify with me they can put themselves in my shoes and, and imagine what it would be like it's impossible how can you imagine being a rubber plant i can't even do that you know because his life is so different from you know just about any kind of um, anything in your life that you can identify with
0: yeah, I and certainly I don't, don't want to be Robert Plant but I wouldn't mind Mm-mm. being with him and you're one of those women that was pursued by him and I think a lot of not I think but a lot of people have been asking when are you going to get Michelle on are you able to talk to Michelle can you interview her because that's it like you and Pamela and Catherine James you're all famous in your own right people value you for who you are and your experience and you're in. You're as much a part of rock and roll history as any of those guys too. Because if it weren't for you, there'd be no them.
4: And you know what? They all joined bands to meet girls. That's the reason most of them became picked up a guitar in the first place. And they'll admit it. You know, it's true. And we just, I am a singer, and I, you know, used to. In fact, Stephen tried to. Uh, he talked about us starting a band together. Um, too bad that didn't pan out, huh? You're a freaking amazing. genius, though. Yeah, it would have. It would have been good. And I, if I'd been in the right place at the right time, I would. I would have pursued it. So I just had to um, admire Joni Mitchell and and want to be her from afar. I met her. I, I socialized with her. I've got so many damn stories. I look at my own life. I can't believe it happened. You know, it was just. It was. I'm. I'm very grateful. Let's put it that way. And I. I do want to write my story because um, I owe it to my mom because I always was good at English and creative writing, and I know that nothing, she's gone, but nothing in the world would make her happier than for me to write a book. Mm. And the second reason is everybody has a story in them. Everybody on earth has a story. And most of them, people would be surprised how interesting other people's lives are. But mine is the kind of story people want to hear. And I feel I have this, I have this almost duty to write it because um, it, she gets credit for it. My Angela didn't say it originally. Who was it that said it? There's no, no greater agony than having an untold story inside you or an unborn story inside you.
3: Yes, exactly. And
4: it's true. And I love you guys so much. And one of the biggest surprises in my life is how many young women get it, you know, and that I understand what it was like and, and love us for it. It's just, you know, it gives me a lot of faith in the world. To, to see people like you.
0: Oh, thank you, and we love being. And I'm getting all curious. About
4: thinking about it. No, seriously, it's been really gratifying for me. You know, and I've had the best experience on social media. Mine is probably unusual, but I'm looking right now at a painting that a young woman did of me—an oil painting she did of me when I at the period I was with Robert. And it's a beautiful painting. I never met this girl. She sent me this painting. Of course, I gave her the picture and. Other people sent me gifts, and it's because something that I have makes people happy. I got to write my book.
0: You have a beauty inside you know, of you too, because the outer only gets any of us so far. Yeah. But you have that sustainable, like inside beauty. We can tell like, you love animals. You're a kind person, oh God. and we all identify with that and we love being a part of this supportive community of women who build each other up and who want to see each other succeed and just continue to spread love and joy in this world. Because as light workers, we need to do that. There's too much darkness around. It's up to us to continue to spread love and joy.
4: Yep. And it's not just about you feeling love, but it's contagious. And I remember, you know, the, My spiritual leader said, try to love those who you cannot love, because the more you think of others with love and kindness, the more you forget yourself. And when you forget yourself completely, you find God. And it's true. It's like you can't lose the people that are most admired and that other people want to be like are kind people because they're the happiest it's true. And then, of course, there's people like Dylan I was probably a real shit to other people and I met the Beatles, too, when I was really young when I was you 14. Did. That's another story. Yeah, Are
0: you saving that when one? I was...
4: Are you saving that one for your well, book? Well, kind of. Uh, I met them when I was... It's a, it's kind of a complicated story. The person I liked the best, though, in those days, this was 1966, was John. Oh, By far. I thought he was... Yeah. He was... To, to me, personally, he was the nicest and... Um, the one who was kind of the freshest, kind of like nudge nudge, was George.
0: Yeah, of course um, he was. Of course he was.
4: Yes, yes. And, and uh, Ringo was was just cranky because he didn't want all these people around. And it must have been really hard for them, you know. Even with all the good they got, it must have been just really hard to deal with everything, like being on all the time. And Paul, just who I had a total crush on, you know, when I was young, seemed a little just too kind of corny. And I've met him since, cause I, I lived with Denny and Jojo Lane, who were in, he was in Wings, and so I socialized with Paul, I was at his house in, in, uh, not in Nice, but in, uh, St. John's Wood. And, I've got, and one story I will share with you is, when I was there, I was there with Denny, and Linda made, a uh, pea soup, which we all, you know, had, and, um, I, I thought my pea soup was just as good as hers. She she used salt pork. I I didn't. Mine was vegetarian. But anyway, she made this great soup. And Martha, the the, the dog and you know, the sheepdog was running up and down. This a beautiful house, of course. Martha. And their daughter Stella was about seven at the time. And I, we had Denny's little boy with us, uh, Lane. He was about three at the time. And and Stella comes. Stella McCartney comes up to me and says, "Would you hug me, hold me, and hug me like you hug that little boy?" And I never seen this. Child before in my life.
0: Yeah.
4: It was just. A, and I don't know why she said it. She must. I knew Linda in New York. Linda, it was all Linda, you know. But she nice. I always got along very well with her. She was very nice to me. I have not a bad word to say about Linda McCartney. You know. So I think concerned she was a lovely woman, and and was great for Paul. Yeah. Um, but either she was open enough to ask for love from someone who she saw giving it, which I think is really freaking cool. You know it couldn't have been that she wasn't getting it from her folks, because first of all, why would she come up to somebody she never saw and say something like that? You know? But I've never forgotten it.
0: Wow, well you were just a so beautiful been, being that was radiating light and love, and she picked up on it and she wanted some of that.
4: And another story I'll tell you, and if you need to go, we can go, but I do want to tell you the story. Yeah, let's I wrote hear a little more, lot of more po- story,
0: and then we'll wrap it up.
4: A lot of poetry when I was younger. A lot. All the time. And I always had a notebook with me, and I kept them. A trans- Pamela was always a writer. for something else. Pamela was always a writer. When I met her, she kept a journal and she inspired me to keep a journal. And well, I emulated her a lot. I was like her first student. She always had these stories and she always wrote them down. Everything she had in the first book she had in, in her journal. She said, I not have to write much. she was already written it. She was always a great storyteller. Always, always, always. And, um, so she got me, you know, into writing and, I wrote all the time. I wrote poetry, and then I started keeping a journal. Well, when I moved out here from New York, I went to my aunt's house because she had all the stuff in her basement I was keeping. And my poetry books, two of them, disappeared. It was the worst loss I've ever experienced. Actually, I've never found them. There was one book that survived that, that was in you know the, the trunk, and that was the poems I wrote when Robert and I were together. Wow. Those I managed to somehow stay with me The rest, I don't know where they are So I remember my sister saying how she loved my poetry This was years ago And, and I said, yeah, well, I had a, I was inspired by somebody who was you know, really beautiful And she said, no, she said, all that beauty came out of you
3: It did, exactly wow. And I, I
4: never forgot it And everybody has, that, that, if they have that light in it, you really have to let it shine
3: Yeah, we can't wait for you to write this book
4: well I could I could sit here all day and talk but um I got to say some of it No, I'm just kidding there's there's a lot um, mm-hmm. a lot and most all of it has been really good and even the bad stuff isn't really bad in retrospect cuz it all made me strong you know and I I'm I'm a lot tougher than I look <laughs> you know I've learned that with my spinal surgery yeah you know if I, I would do it again if I had to and it was brutal it was brutal but it was totally worth it
0: yeah, you are strong and amazing. And actually, I think you and Link kind of look like you. How old you a you little bit With that blonde hair in the back. I and...
4: noticed, actually, I noticed that you girls are adorable. You live in, in Canada. Yeah, we're in Toronto. So, how far is that from the Pacific Northwest? What part of Canada? Is that just further east? Or is it.
3: It's... Um, I shouldn't know. It's about like a nine hour drive from New York, from Manhattan.
4: The only place in Canada I've ever been was in Quebec City. I went there with my summer camp. Yeah. my cabin went up there. Uh, you know, our last year, and it was just freaking beautiful. It's very European.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, yeah, Quebec but, is where. So, so uh, that's that's French Canada, French yeah. Canadian, and then I don't know um, Ontario is the capital, and I know that Vancouver is over here. Vancouver, we British Columbia. We're Colombia, in Ontario. That's a that's a. Uh, that's further east. So it's more. It's closer to New York than to yeah. here.
0: Yeah, we're we're pretty close to New York. But we're pretty set on doing some traveling, and we've only just started exploring the U.S. Like, Lynx goes to New York quite right a bit. And last year we went to Tennessee, and I've been to Las Vegas, and neither of us have been out to L.A., but we really eventually want oh, to take this to. on the road. And our mission is to meet every single one of you who we've chatted with, give you a hug, and uh, feel all of that light in, in person. So we hope to meet you someday
4: in person. Oh, that would be wonderful. Now, now, what what made you decide to, to start the it was, it's a, a a podcast? Yeah, what, yeah. Okay. Well, so, what, what what made you what inspired you to do this? I think it's so great that you are because it really you know makes us feel like you know you really care that we care about still. And, um, that that makes us feel like maybe we've done something right.
0: Yeah, well, when um, we grew up, you know, listening to music, and then we would see photos of these rock stars, we were like, well, that's all good and well, but we always wanted to know who's the woman who who are these right. girls, and what are wh- what is their story, and just like you know, the many of those fan blogs online, we're just we were kind of enraptured by your beauty and the essence that you were giving off. And we just knew that there was a story there. And then we uh, discovered Pamela's books. And then through her books, we found out about all of the other women out there who were part of the scene. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we... We have, we're living, are living vicariously through your experience because it's, you know, the music industry and rock and roll and meeting bands. Well, it's still possible. And we've had our own, you know, stuff here and there. It'll never be like what all of you guys experienced. So we just wanted to hear your story and get to know you and celebrate you and honor you because we love being a part of, um, you know, the rock and roll muse groupie sisterhood and we're and we're but the fact that you keep going
4: right go the fact that you guys can do this is, is really fabulous i mean you have advantages we didn't have um and i think it's great i think you know it's still tough in a lot of ways to be a woman and I was lucky growing up in the village I went to. I was in a class with gifted kids, you know, intellectually gifted children. The girls were not treated any different than the guys, believe me. It was also in the village. But still, I mean, there were certain... I remember when I heard that girls couldn't join Little League Baseball, I was actually outraged. I want to play baseball. How come I can't just because I'm a girl? You know, and those barriers have broken down. And I think that women like you that are, like, really doing something, you know, and especially that you, you get it. You know that that what we had was so it was the music. It really was. Maybe one of these days I'll um, I'll put my one song on um, YouTube that people seem to really like. I wrote it for Robert, of course, after we broke up, and it took me twenty no thirty years to write the course. I wrote the first verse when we broke up, and then like decades later I finished it. The same song,
0: well, we would love there was
4: something to hear it.
0: Well, we're so grateful right. that we got to connect with you. We'll uh, wrap it up and we'll say thank you so much. This really means so much to, we, to us. And we love you.
4: Thank you for, for, you know, giving me this opportunity to speak up. Yeah, thank you so much, Oh, Michelle. thank you. We'll You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Okay, bye for
4: bye. now. But bye-bye for
1: now. News and Stuff is produced by Chantal Lemieux and Link Solo. At R&R Archaeology.
2: Hey there, this is Tyrell Listen, the host of the band History, a new show that takes a deep dive into the legendary roots rock group The Band. Perhaps one of the most overlooked groups in music history went from being a backing band to the legends like Ronnie Hawkins and Bob Dylan to creating some of the most influential music of the 1960s and 70s. The band is responsible for the back-to-basics approach to rock in the late 60s, foregoing psychedelia and acid pop of the day, and influencing artists like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and Eric Clapton to bring it back to the roots. This new podcast is here to peel back the curtain on the mysterious group that took the music world by storm. Not with press, fancy magazine covers, or massive tours, but with their music. Come and check it out.